In a time when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome, listeners, to episode 14 of the Feelin' Film podcast. I'm Aaron, and I'm here with my co-host, Patrick. Hey, guys. Today, we are going to be reviewing The Secret Life of Pets, the most recent animated film from Illumination Entertainment. Yep, this is the same studio that has given us the Despicable Me and Minions film, so I have to admit, there was a lot to be excited about going into this one. If this is your first time joining us for an episode, we want you to know that we're really excited about that and hope that you like the episode. If you do enjoy it, you can always check out our library of past episodes as well. Definitely. We love talking movies and interacting with our listeners in our Facebook group, over Twitter, email, etc. And if you can send us your thoughts on any of our episodes whenever you like, doesn't have to just be a conversation about the most recent one. Well, Patrick, so unlike most weeks, we've both been very busy and we have not yes. talked as much as we usually do throughout the yes, week. Sir. But that makes me extra excited to hear about what you've been up to this week. So why don't we do that before we get started with the review? Yeah. Um, so this weekend, I got a chance to be a part of the uh, Little Rock 48-hour film project. Um, it's a Yeah. It's an event that's not specific to Little Rock. It happens all over the country. And essentially what it is, is it's a competition where groups of people get together and over the course of two days, they write, direct, edit, score, and produce a short film for competition that will get screened locally. And the winner of the, the screenings will eventually get that entry put into, well, this is something new this year. There's a, there's a, in Fayetteville, Arkansas, Northwest Arkansas, there's a film festival that the winner will get screened there. And then there's a big event that's nationwide called Filmapalooza that, nice. that gets, um, that that entry gets put in. And I think if it wins there, then it gets featured at, at, at Cannes. Holy moly. Yeah. So it's, it can become a pretty big deal for the most part though. It's, it's an event that is really just about having fun and seeing how, um, what kind of, what kind of, um, art comes out of a truncated timeline. This is the first time, this is not the first time that I've done it. Last year I did it for the first time. I had some minimal involvement. I did a little bit of acting. Is this the one where you were like a dead zombie? No, I wasn't a dead zombie. I was a, a bad guy that got hit in the head with a pencil and killed instantly early on in the film. I can dead see zombie. how you might think. Okay, Definitely well, dead zombie. I didn't come back, so I was... Okay, if I was dead... You would have if it was longer than a 48-hour. If it was a 72-hour <laughs> film festival project, you, you would have uh, you would have done it. They would have rounded out my character a little bit more, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but this year... Um, we, uh, the, the project that I was involved with, I actually got a chance to write and direct and I got to tell you, man, it, it was amazing to be in, in that position, to be able to have the challenge of scripting a story and, you know, coming up with a story and scripting it and helping just di direct people and figure out the best shots. And this was in, by no means me alone. I mean, there was a great team of people that, that put the film together and with acting and with music and with the technical side, boom operator and, and, and my editor and also filmographer, cinematographer. 
um, it was just incredible. I learned so much about um, how to talk to actors, how to describe certain like motivations for characters. I, uh, you know, how to, how to speak to my cinematographer in a way that he understood. So we communicated when to stop the action, when to start the action, um, all these different things. And, and I learned a lot from the challenges of having to kind of tweak the story a little bit, tweak the, and tweak the, the script because we've tweaked the story. And so we spent, um, a good 13 hours yesterday filming. We were up till about one thirty the night before or that morning coming up with the story and actually writing the script for it. And my, uh, my cinematographer and, and, uh, composer spent today and all, all afternoon editing it and putting all the final touches. And we, we had a deadline of seven thirty, and we got it in at like seven twenty-five. Nice. So, so it's going to be, it's going to be screened and there are going to be awards that are, that are going to be el- that will be eligible for uh, where we the first round is to make it to the top 10. There were 22 teams that got their film in. So we'll be up against another 21 groups. And uh, and then those will screen the top 10 of those will be screened again. And then the winner of that then goes on to film Palooza and the Fayetteville Film Festival or whatever. But seeing as how this is my first my directorial debut and my writing debut. I don't anticipate us making it that far, but you never know. We'll, we'll see. We had a ton of fun doing it though. And I was, I was really proud of the final product, especially with all the limitations that we had and, and just the circumstances that we were with having to deal with weather and all this other stuff. I was just incredibly proud of the team and the final product that, that came out. Yeah. I can imagine that you would be, that's, that's awesome. I didn't even know, that you were, I didn't know that was the way you were going to be involved this year after I, I knew that you had, you know, been an extra or actor very briefly in the, the last year's version, but that's super cool, man. And are yeah. we going to ever get a chance to see that or is there somewhere yes. that our listeners can um, check it out once the voting is all done and wrapped up? Yeah, I don't, seeing as how I'm still sort of green to the whole competition, um, we're not allowed to show it until it's been screened and until a certain point after um after the the competition is over i don't know if that's after filmapalooza or after the local awards but um once i get the go ahead i'll put a link on facebook to where the film actually is and um you know keep in mind again it's a 48 hour film festival so the quality in terms of like this is not nolan type stuff but it, it gives you an idea of some of the, the work that goes into just putting something together on a, on an accelerated timeline. Um, one of the interesting things about it, I'll just say this and then I'll, I'll hand it off to you. One of the interesting things about the competition is that you don't just make up a story from scratch. You're given a genre. And so you have to play in that genre and you have three elements that have to be a part of your story. So all, all groups have to have, a prop and it's, it's this year we all have to have a shoe. So a shoe has to make it into the film. There's a line of dialogue that has to be in the film. And then there is a character's name and his or her occupation that has to be in the film. So for this year, um, out and, and, but the genres are different. So each, each group has a different genre. And so for, for this year, um, the character's name was like Jim Rhodes, I think. And the line of dialogue was it's, 
it's really easy or it's not that hard or something like that. And so you have to kind of bring those in. Of course, a shoe has to make it into the the story at some point. So it's, it's really cool to see other people, how they incorporate those three elements into their stories. And um, along with making our own film, it's really cool to see the final products of other teams that have uh, have produced something. That's really awesome. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what you came up with and some of the competitors and and just seeing, you know, what kind of what kind of output you you got on your first ever uh, attempt at this is from a writing and directing side. That's it's just incredible. I'm super yeah. proud of you and I think it's it's great, man. I was smiling from ear to ear when I saw the final product. It was just it's so cool to see it. You know, it's I mean, it it's my baby, you know. <laughs> yeah, as a creator, it's it's your yeah. art, so that's yeah, awesome. Yeah. So how about you? What have you been up to this week? Well, um, I got a couple things to mention. First off, I'll just briefly say I got a chance to podcast on Warcraft. Um, we didn't cover it. Um, and we may eventually, actually, when it comes out on uh, later on DVD or Blu-ray, um, we've kicked that idea around. Patrick, you are not a gaming, you not a, not, not a gamer, but you have not played Warcraft or World nope. of Warcraft. Um, and so I think us doing a podcast on it ourselves would be fun uh, just yeah. to get differing perspectives and, you know, giving it our special treatment. But in the meantime, I was invited uh, back for a second time to real world theology to talk with them about the movie and man had a great time. We all three were gamers. And so we spent a good probably 30 minutes at least on just the lore of the Warcraft universe and just kind of geek. We just geeked out, man. It was, it was one of the most fun podcasts I've ever I've recorded as a guest because it, it, we just had such kind of a passion, you know, together for the, the uh, material. So real world theology, you can find them iTunes everywhere, all over. And that one should be dropping uh, the same date that this episode is hitting. So if it's not, give it a day, then go look for it. And Warcraft will be there for you guys to check out if you're interested. Um, Fantastic. Next, so my kids were were with me this weekend, and we've been kind of working through um, an anime um, for the last several months, uh, if not almost a year, half a year, I guess. Very, very uh, similar to what you and I are doing with Battlestar, just kind of knocking out a couple episodes a week here and there. Um, We do the same thing typically when we're having dinner and we want to, you know, chill in the living room, we'll watch three or four in a row and that'll be it. And some weekends we don't watch them and some, some weekends we do. Well, we finally wrapped up all the episodes that are out, which is two different seasons of a show called Sword Art Online. And it was was great. Just, it was cool to kind of go through that whole process with my kids. The game is basically, it, it is built around a concept of, a massive multiplayer game, which is kind of interesting. I just talked about Warcraft. And the players are playing the game via virtual reality, also incredibly relevant to what uh, is going on <laughs> in the world right now because that's yeah. what's coming on the horizon and starting to show up. And um, they go into this new game, and they get stuck in the game, the creator of the game, somehow don't ask me for specifics on on how this could work, but has created a way for them to be locked in. And if they disconnect from the game in any way, or if they're killed in the game, then they die in real life. So it becomes an incredible story of just 
survival and you know all kinds of emotions um wow. and how these different and they're most all like there's they range from children you know in the game all the way up to you know older adults that are playing and how the interactions occur so we've gone through two full seasons of it you know probably gosh i don't know 40 50 50 episodes of the show and we loved it we just ate it up and we've wrapped that up all the ones that were available this week and enjoyed that like yeah a lot i love, con- I love concepts like that that's really really cool yeah, anime has some of the the greatest concepts. I just started watching another one that's brand new called ReZero that is it's literally just started, you know, a couple months ago and it's about a, a guy in an MMO type world. He gets he's real life, he just gets transported there, has no idea why. And every day he it's like Groundhog's Day, basically. He goes through these quests and this he learns things about the world and then he dies and he starts back at the same moment with and he has all of the knowledge of what he what has taken place, but wow. none of nothing physical has changed, and no one else remembers anything you know that's happened. So he may he may he has to go through the pain of dying over and over and over again. He has to feel it, and <laughs> he has to watch people he loves die, and then reset back to the starting point where they're alive <laughs> again. You know, and he forms these relationships with these people and has to to deal with this. And emotionally, it just it's devastating to him, and it's just really cool. I mean. Man, they they come up with some some heavy concepts that I really like to get into, and that's that's my main reason for watching anime. Yeah, it sounds like they were inspired a little bit by the uh, Battlestar Galactica philosophy or, or science, where you have the idea of Cylons that you know they they die, but when they come back, they have the past knowledge of their former selves. Right. Yes, it's a lot like the rebirth of a of a Cylon for sure. Yeah. Um. So the last thing I want to talk about is. This week, a game came out, an app came out that I've been tracking the beta of for a while now. It wasn't in the beta, unfortunately, um, but it's called Pokemon Go. And if you're listening to this episode and you don't know what Pokemon Go is yet, then you probably don't have access to the internet and you probably <laughs> don't know any people because this thing in about, gosh, when did it start? I think it started on like a Thursday night. I can't remember what day it started. It's been out maybe like, I don't know, four days at this point, four to five days at the most. And it has taken the world over. It is unbelievable. Um, I've played, you know, dabbled in Pokemon games here and there. Concept of Pokemon games is that you go out, you hunt to find different types of these animals. They all have different like stats and different uh, elemental affinity type things attached to them. And you try to capture them. And then in, in real Pokemon, you, you take them, you take them to gyms, you train them, make them stronger, and then you can go out and you can fight other people. And then there's also a concept where when the Pokemon gains enough of a certain type of leveling experience, it can be evolved into a new form or new species. So discovering these things is awesome. And what this app has done is it's essentially made Pokemon into a geocaching game. So you, you load the app. And you get to walk around your city in a real-time version of the map of your city. It's a street map. There's no landmarks. But there's all these different, like, things popping up all over. There's, there's these things called Pokestops you'll find randomly. They're, they're attached to landmarks or murals in your city. Like, some, you know, maybe you have a fountain and there's a Pokestop there. And you can go to this Pokestop and you can, um, you know, gain new resources for your game or you can 
um, attract Pokemon there to catch. And then there's these gyms. So like I live across the street from YMCA and there's actually a gym, like literally like a couple feet away from me. Um, I just have to walk across the street and I can battle for control of that gym and, you know, gain extra levels for my Pokemon. It's like this. So I'm team yellow and I'm always battling against team red and team blue, trying to keep control of that gym that's by my house. Um, and it's just, it's been amazing. And the biggest, the, the coolest and biggest thing that it has done is it has gotten my family so active in the last four days. You would not believe how many steps I have put in and, and my kids, my daughter is typically, she calls it, she, she calls herself the one that does not like being emotional. She made up a word for this. She doesn't like being emotional. She likes to just kind of be relaxed and chill and not move a lot. <laughs> she is out there. She won't stop. Like she will walk three blocks to try and get to a tuft of grass that she thinks is going to turn into a Pokemon. She may not have caught yet. And it's, inc- it's awesome, man. We, it's become this cool social thing where we're just walking down the street and you see a whole group of people walking by you with their phones out. You just look at them and they look at you and everybody smiles and nods and they're like, yep, Pokemon go players. Hey, what'd you guys catch? Hey, what'd you guys catch? Where'd you find them? What level are you like total strangers? Like we're walking around a lake today and we end up just stopping and talking to these two random people. And my daughter's who's completely like shy. Most of the time she's like high-fiving this guy because he's the the same uh, team color as her totally coming out (laughs) of her shell. And this thing is, is helping. It's going to help fight childhood obesity. I'm telling you, I mean, all the kids that play video games sitting on their couch that don't want to get up and go exercise are going to love this app. And in order to play this game, you got to get up and go walk. So it's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's fun. We are so kind of unbelievably addicted, addicted to it. I have to admit um, <laughs> I'm not gonna, not gonna say what I've gotten done so far and what my level is because, um, <laughs> it's a little embarrassing, but also it's something I'm very proud of. Uh, but man, yeah, Pokemon Go has been just a revelation in these last four days and I'm, I'm pumped to keep playing it and excited to see where it takes us. We're, you know, gonna, the Pokemon live in certain areas. So, you know, we have a lot of plains type Pokemon around us, but we traveled to a beach to catch some water ones and we're hoping to go to a forest in a you know weekend coming up soon so that we can try and catch some mountain and forest Pokemon and types. So yeah, it's it's been awesome. That's fantastic. And when you mentioned that, it brought to mind just tonight when we went to go submit our film, the lady taking all of our information and making sure everything was in order, kept looking at her phone and she finally said, uh, the Wi-Fi can't connect me to my Pokemon Go app. And I just <laughs> said, there you go. It's everywhere. Even it in the is. heart of the South, it is, it is alive and well. Yeah, um, I will, I will probably not get involved in that because I'm not as big of a gamer uh, in general as you are, but I think it's fantastic. I love, I love the fact that it brings out um, and indirectly addresses the idea of exercise and the sense of community. I love games that do that, that provide a sense of, of common ground with the people involved. Um, again, I think it, I think I mentioned this on an episode in the past that it's like, it's like when you're sitting in a, on a bus or something, or you're sitting in a vehicle and a song comes on the radio that you guys all know the lyrics to, and you start singing along something as random as that can unite people. And I think that's just, that's a really cool, cool idea. For sure, man. It really is. And, and I think, uh, you know, if, if your son was a little bit older, you would be stuck playing this sucker just like the rest of us. 
<laughs> he's starting to touch Minecraft, so I know that he's he's, he's, on, he's on the edge. Start him off young. I like it. So, <laughs> Pokemon Go actually is a great segue for us, and and I want to say I'm you know to those listening. Normally, we don't go this long on what we've been up to the last couple of week or last week or so, but you know, with Patrick and I, I haven't talked a lot, and we've just both been so busy and into so much stuff. So we hope you enjoy hearing about this stuff. Um, we always do put in the show notes the timestamps for when this section starts and then when we actually start our review. So I wanted to give you a heads up about that because if you for some reason don't want to hear this and you just came to listen to the secret of life, secret of life, secret life of pets uh, conversation. I would love to listen to that. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah. Maybe we'll do that one day. But uh, <laughs> if you came just to listen to the secret life of pets uh, review, then you can, you know, go straight to that by looking at the timestamp and, and just fast forwarding to that point. So with that being said, I actually tweeted when I went to see this movie, I called it the secret life of Pokemon because it was coming out the day after the <laughs> app released. And I was, I was catching, I, I caught a squirtle on my leg while watching the movie, not during the movie, like during the, the, you know, advertisements that now happen before movies. <laughs> so it was kind of funny how, you know, I'm catching these animals and I'm watching this animated movie about pets. So Patrick, uh, let's yes. get started with this. I was okay. hyped for this movie. Yes, and you were. I wanted to go see this. I was so excited for this movie. You were not. You were, you know, lukewarm on it. You weren't against it. But this I wasn't one of the, you. yeah, this wasn't a film I was ne- necessarily put circling on the calendar to go see. <laughs> right. So, so we'll be honest, like I picked this one for us to cover. And so I want to know what you thought of it. Okay. Um, you know, I didn't love it and, um, I didn't love the first half of it. I, I was trying to go back and, and really try to figure out what it was about it that, that didn't appeal to me. And I think that part of it was a lack of hype. So I'm not, at, I wasn't at a level where I wanted to specifically love it or love it. Like I wanted to love something like, you know, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children that's coming up in the fall. Like I'm really hyped about that. So not knowing a lot about it, seeing it as kind of a, you know, it's a nice, fun summer movie. It doesn't have a lot of, you know, political stakes or social stakes. It just seems like a fun kids movie. Um, I didn't have a lot of expectations going into it, but I was a pet lover. And so that combined with your desire to want to talk about it got me encouraged enough to go see it. So the first half of the film, I was sort of trying to figure out where the movie was going. Like I, I, I see a title, The Secret Life of Pets. And so what I'm picturing in my head, even though I say I don't have expectations, is um, maybe I'm picturing all of the antics that we as pet owners, I'm a pet owner, you're a pet owner, um, know about our animals and maybe wanting to see kind of a, like what really goes on. And based on some of the trailers, I was like, this looks like it's going to be fun. And so when I see what the plot is, it really sort of took me away from that. I felt like I was watching, um, Toy Story combined with like the Fox and the Hound and 101 Dalmatians. Like it became an adventure story, which was fine, but it didn't really grab me in a way that it didn't surprise me like I wanted it to. Like I kind of wanted something fresh and different. Secret Life of Pets, there seems, at least on the surface, it seems like there could be a lot that could that you could pull from and a lot of places you could go with it. And it felt like it sort of played it safe and became kind of an adventure story. It was a good one. And the second half of the film, when we get into more of the 
characters of, of Duke and Max and all of the, the quote unquote bad guys and Max's, his, his friends, that's when it really got to be a lot of fun for me. But I will say this, I don't think I would have enjoyed it as much had I not gone with my son. So I took him to see this and he was mesmerized. He, mm-hmm. he was having such a great time. And this goes back to what we talked about last week about the BFG. The audience experience really, really made it better. Because he was pointing to me, he was looking at me and going, Dad, look at those dogs. Those dogs are so funny. And he would, he would talk to a kid next to him. And it was just, it was so, I mean, when I saw him smiling and having a good time, that's when I really started to have a good time with it. And, uh, and so overall, I mean, I, if I were to give it a five-star review, I would say it's, it's between a two and a half and a three for me. It wasn't one that I would necessarily go back and see because it was so um, overwhelmingly good, but it was definitely not a miss. It became, it, it, it turned into something that became a lot of, uh, a lot of fun for me. Well, that is, that's really great. I, I love that, um, the experience of having your son there influenced your enjoyment of it. We talk about it, you know, all the time with all the animated movies we've covered this summer so far, how that just tends to enhance the experience and just, make it into something that you otherwise would not have had if you were just an adult watching it by yourself. Um, and, mm-hmm. and like you said, if you were an adult or even with your kids watching it at home, um, it would be a different experience than having that communal social interaction with the other people in the theater. Um, because when, when other people laugh at certain things, um, there's like this trickle effect sometimes where, you're you don't initially laugh at it and then there's this like half second second long delay but half the audience starts chuckling and you're kind of like <laughs> and then you then you find it funny you know right. once you realize they're laughing at it and you're like why are they laughing and you, you do this quick process in your brain and then you're like oh it is funny yeah um so i'm glad that you did not hate it i'm glad that i didn't ruin <laughs> ruin your day or <laughs> this will be our last you. podcast ladies and gentlemen we will be back at a later date uh to be determined <laughs> once, pa- once patrick has properly planned out our our uh our episode list that aaron has zero uh <laughs> effect on <laughs> um, democracy becomes a dictatorship <laughs> <laughs> well i'm glad that you did not feel like you wasted your money on it and that's that was the most important thing for me can I just say this? Um, one of the highlights was actually the movie experience in that I bought a ticket for myself because I didn't know if Carson was going to go with me. Um, so when I went to go buy his ticket, they were sold out. And I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I have a three and a half year old son that I have nothing. I can't. What am I going to do? And he, check this out. I didn't buy him a ticket. <laughs> Confession. Please don't get me arrested. <laughs> I walked up to the ticket guy. He scanned my ticket and he said, it's in theater, blah, 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 blah. I go into the theater that's completely crowded and we find one seat in a pretty decent place and he sits in my lap the whole time. So even if I thought the movie was bad, it would have had redeeming value in that I didn't have to pay for two tickets. <laughs> so I read that as I not only made you see a movie that you weren't that hot on, but that made you a criminal. Yeah, well, if, you know, You're potato, welcome. potato, potato, potato. <laughs> So in case anybody can hear in the background here, I don't know if you can hear this while I'm talking, but there is some meowing and there is major fighting going on in my house, which, you know what, I'm going to let it ride because this is appropriate. I live in a home with four cats and they are currently like having 
WrestleMania over here beside me where I'm recording. <laughs> Normally I lock them up. I totally forgot. But you know what, listeners? If you hear cats going nutso in the background, it's just part of the experience here on the Feel and Film podcast. We like to immerse hey, you in the genre we're talking about. At some point, maybe we should get some selfies with our animals. What do you think? And post them on the Facebook page. Let's do that. Let's okay. do that. This is so. a great week for that. We'll do it. <laughs> so I'll tell you what I thought. I, just like you, this landed between a two and a half and a three for me. Um, I did not love some of the first half, kind of like you did. I thought it picked up steam in the third act and kind of came together in a way that I was happy with. But I I had my doubts about midway through on whether or not it was going to be able to do that or not. Um, I was a little bit nervous, to be honest, because I was like, okay, this is not what I thought I was going to get. Um, I knew it was going to be a little bit of a chase story, adventure story, but I thought we were going to get more of exactly what you said, uh, the antics of a pet in the home, um, you know, and what was going on when an owner is not there. Right. To, to that point, one of my absolute favorite scenes in the film is the montage when the owners come home um, and they see their pets and, and we have, well, there's two montages they can tie together. One is what the pets are doing when the owners are gone. Um, mm-hmm. What they're, you know, whether they're lazy or, you know, the, the, the wiener dogs using the blender or the, not the blender. <laughs> that, woo, <laughs> the I'm glad the wiener are... dog didn't use yeah. the blender. No, um, yeah. The yeah. wiener dog was using the uh, mixing machine the stand mixer yeah yes, yeah to uh give himself a little rub down and on the back and so those things seeing that and then seeing the owners come home and be excited about seeing their pets were two of my favorite things about the movie and they're like kind of short little montages instead of the story of the film well sure but i'm gonna say this two of my favorite moments one was that closing montage of the of the pet owners coming home to, to the, their pets but and this may have been where we were sitting in the theater. I loved the opening. I loved the use of Taylor Swift's Welcome to New York and showing an animated landscape of the Big Apple. And I, I thought the the narration of Max talking about his relationship with his owner, it it really like I felt like I was watching an actual movie about people like this this seems like a a you've got mail or a or a movie about new york and how the magic of that city and i really i picked up on that and i loved it i loved i loved the fact that i think he said something about there's nothing like being in new york and being you know being owned by someone or something he doesn't say that but the, the the tone or the the attitude you get the sense that he is a content dog not only because he's loved by his owner, but because he lives in this beautiful city, the city that never sleeps, that has so much activity. And so some of the, I think the last part of that opening sequence, it shows him and his owner sitting on her, I guess her porch or her balcony, looking out, just looking at the city. Yeah. And so for me, a guy that loved the, the, the idea of the big city, I, I was drawn into that. And that was really nice. And you couple that with the, the ending sequence that, by the end it pans out and you see all these pet owners and their, their interactions with their pets inside this big city. It's like you have this great bow that's tied that New York is, is the place where all this magic happens. I mean, cause New York itself has been a, you know, it's been a land, you know, landmark city for a lot of movies where a lot of cool stuff takes place and a lot of not so cool stuff takes place. And I thought that using New York 
as the setting was really great. Oh yeah, me too. I thought they they did a good job of choosing where to set the film. I mean, it would have been a whole different story had you just set this in random suburbia town. Oh, absolutely, you know, just yeah. in the middle of a housing development somewhere. Mm-hmm. And you could have you could have had the same exact animals uh, in anywhere in the world, right. um, but they didn't. That they didn't choose that, and it it lended itself to a much better. Uh, it, it gave itself a lot a lot better weight to it, and uh, and and presented more opportunities too for the craziness that we were going to see. Right. <laughs> like even, even down to, you know, if we're going to speak specifically, I love the, uh, the, the scene, by the way, if we haven't said spoilers, there are spoilers. So <laughs> we haven't said that already. Um, there's a, there's a moment when I think Max and Duke, they head off, um, on the ferry and they go over to Brooklyn. And I think snowball says something about they're heading over to Brooklyn and, uh, we're going to, we're going to do something. And it's somebody makes kind of like a real estate joke. He goes, we're not going to Brooklyn to buy real estate. We're going over there to take care of, take, Oh, he said, take care of business. And somebody says, Oh yeah, I hear there's some good housing over there. He's like, we're not real estate guys. We're, we're here to take these guys out. And you can't do that. If you, I mean, if you're not familiar with the, with the, with the setting or with the, the area. Right. Yeah. And I don't know. I, so you you mentioned Snowpaw, <laughs> so I'm just gonna use that as a, a point, jumping on point to to ask you, I guess, what you what did you think of that character? Because that character is hit or miss um, for some people. I I believe that character is going to be a divisive character. Um, I think some people are going to probably adults. So some adults are going to be just like shaking their head, like, "Are you kidding me right now?" This thing is way over the top and nuts and just doesn't make any sense i think kids my kids showed me like they loved him they thought he was just the most hilarious thing ever and he's voiced by kevin hart this you know this movie has a great voice cast a lot of well-known actors and actresses Uh, but so what did you think about the way that the so-called villain uh and and in general the villain plot wise the villain of snowball and his concept of the flushed pets and their their little gang what did you think about how that was portrayed he he was he was a miss for me i I fall in line with a lot of adults that he kind of graded on me and i i don't know what it was maybe it was just that it was a complete like visual opposite you have this bunny that has a really aggressive nature and you know whatever but i think maybe maybe him specifically spoke to kind of the the frustration overall that I had with maybe that gang. So we have like three different sets of groups. We have, we have Max and Duke and their kind of adventure. I mean, all of it's tied into to Max and Duke for sure, but we have pockets that we have three groups of people. We have Max and Duke, we have Max's pet people, you know, his, the, the household, the domestic gang or whatever. And then we have snowball and his crew. And I think for me, snowball and to a lesser extent, his whole gang felt a little too over the top for me, almost to a point of being kind of scary. I I remember I really kind of I thought that this movie really hit on death quite a bit, either in talking about pets being killed or owners dying or seeing the snake bite it. Thankfully, and don't like snakes. I, well, okay. Personal opinion notwithstanding, you have just this several moments where 
on a personal level, I felt a little awkward of going, this feels kind of weird. I mean, I guess it's okay to talk about death, but I'm not used to animated features that aren't <laughs> produced by Seth Rogen um, that, that deal with that or talk about that. I mean, the, the heaviest film that I remember seeing as a kid was The Lion King, you know, when, spoiler alert, Mufasa dies. Um, but that was, I mean, that had weight and meaning, and this felt like when we talk about these, you know, killing, like the way that the way that Duke and Max, you know, had a fake story about killing their owners. It just, it, it, I don't know. It felt really awkward to me to hear that. I'm like, "Eh, I don't know if that's a good joke for a seven to 12 year old to be hearing. So I think that was the parent in me. Yeah, I, I would agree with you, um, on, and on the joke stuff. So I, I did not care for the, we killed our owner joke. I get it as an adult, but I think that, I think that the movie kind of walked a little bit of a line uncertainly between how far it was going to go in adult humor and how far it was going to stick to just childish humor. And so that was probably one of the main jokes that really kind of was like, Hey, why why are you, what are we doing this for? Like, did we need to go this route? The other stuff though, I would like to say that I think it can serve as a great talking point because the pets die, right? Some of the pets die. The snake dies. And and it, it dies in a way in which, you know, it's a villain and it's trying to eat or bite Max and Duke. But the idea here is that these are the flushed pets. These are the pets that humans, owners, have sent down the toilet. So how many people have literally sent their t- snake down the toilet because of whatever reason? It's happened, right? It has happened. And so here we have these pets that, they they get they die and and i think our our kids it provides an opportunity to talk to kids about the life and death cycle of your pets and the fact that they're not just a thing that's always going to be there they're not a stuffed animal and so there's that and then i think that you know the concept of an owner dying is not necessarily a bad thing either i mean right. it's sad and yes old people we all get old and we die mm-hmm. and in the idea in the in the framing of this film we're talking about how that affects the pets so we can talk about the fact that you know what happens to our pets when we get old and die you know should we have a plan for them you know mm. what are we going to do when that happens and what what's going to happen to them we need to think of them um and not just assume that they're here for our entertainment they're they're more than just a thing that is here to provide us with our satisfaction. Like we have a responsibility to them. And it, to me, I thought it, it could provide an opportunity to talk about some of those things, even if I didn't necessarily love it. Yeah. And I, I think you hit on a point about the idea of being owned um, from a, you know, we have two polar opposite viewpoints. Um, this idea that pets are owned like they're slaves and pets are owned like they're valued. Mm-hmm. You know, so ownership is interpreted in two different ways based on these two different groups. We'll call it the domestics versus the, you know, versus the thrown out pets. What, what did, what did we call it? What were they called? They're, again? they're, they're called the flushed pets. The flushed pets. Okay. That's the name so, of the gang. Gotcha. Okay. So we have these two groups juxtaposed against each other that see their owners as good or bad. And in a way we see them 
um, responding to them in a way. And, and so, so to that credit, I kind of wish we hadn't seen the resolution with Snowball being adopted because he had established himself as someone who was, I mean, up to that very moment of being grabbed by that little girl, he was like, we're going to take down the owners. We're going to do it. I almost wish we would have kept that because it's almost as if he had history just like Max did, just like Duke did. And even though we didn't get to hear about that history, personally, I think his character would have would have served itself better had he not had resolution. I think we needed him to be the bad, to still be, have his own convictions based on his history. Um, that would have been fine for me. I would, I would have, you know, I would have been glad to see that, but the, go ahead. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, I would disagree. Um, I mean, I, I certainly don't fault you for thinking that, but I, I would disagree in that. I think that, his resolution is great. And I think it's that, that is because he, he is, he is showing us that that scene and him being adopted is showing us that what the pet needs is to f- have someone that loves them, that actually cares about them, that wants them to be part of their family. And that when they have that, that that's when their needs are met. That's when they are satisfied. And so yeah, he has a history. He has bitterness. He has anger. But ultimately, all of that is kind of overridden by the fact that he now has this in this moment someone that actually loves him and cares about him. And I mean, obviously this is all done very fast and we're we're taking some liberties with you know, per- perceiving projecting what is going to happen with this family, but that's what it's meant to show us is that this girl is going to take him and love him and keep him safe and and actually treat him like part of her family. And I think it's showing us kind of a, a primal thing of, you know, like that's what he needs and he can't fight against that anymore because he's getting that need met. And so for me, it worked big time. Yeah. I just, I don't think I saw enough of hints of that during the movie for it to merit him just all of a sudden pulling a 180. I mean, I get his motivation, um, but I, I, I again, I still don't. I still am not on board with his complete 180 that quickly. I, I don't think I saw enough of him wanting to turn in the movie to see that. Again, not a deal breaker. And if anybody's tuning in at this point going, are you really going this deep with this movie? I'm <laughs> just saying it's definitely yeah, something. Yeah, well, it's, it is. It's a big deal. I mean, it's a big a big part of the, the th- thematic plot. And, and I, you know... I guess I just, I always come back down to the instinct. I, I treat it like instinct. You know, his instincts are something he can't fight against as a pet. And as an animal instincts is what we always talk about. These are animals. Yes, they are humanized in this movie. They're given personalities and they can talk and they have, you know, the human characteristics. But they're still animals and they still have these instincts. And his instinct is that when someone is ready to love him and take him in, he tries to fight against it, but like he can't. Because right. he knows that deep down, that's really what he wants. And that's really, you know, anybody who's fighting against something that they're angry about because they were hurt. They're, they're hurt because they wanted that thing and they didn't get it. They got, right. they got hurt by someone who took it away from them. And so yeah. it's coming back now and he has no reason to fight against that. I, I don't know. I, I, see, I can see your side, but I definitely, yeah. I definitely liked it. So one of the other big things that's kind of like this idea you know this big thematic idea of of 
snowballs um, motivation and choices at the end um, is they're Duke and Max, right? Duke and Max have the same big choices that they have to make. Um, they act in certain ways throughout the movie. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. kind of what drives our conflict uh, in right. our adventure scene. I, I thought you made a great point earlier when you mentioned that this was kind of like Toy Story because hello, this was a lot like Toy Story, uh, mm-hmm. at least in the at the beginning. Um, the idea of Duke and Max being a lot like a Buzz and Woody situation where you have Woody, who is your Max, and then you have Buzz come in. He's the new cool toy. Duke comes in. He's the new cool dog. I'm curious what your take on this was. I will tell you from my perspective, um, I found it very interesting that, you know, Max did not uh, treat Duke very well in the beginning. He didn't really even give him a shot. Um, But yet over the course of this adventure, he ends up getting to the point where he wants to risk his own life to save Duke. So how did you, how did you take their, relationship i guess and their story arc well the way you described it there was just like to me buzz and woody you know woody at first was trying to be a jerk to buzz jealous of him but by the end of the movie he's you know trying to save his life what i thought was interesting was not only that parallel but some of the some of the differences in that um duke didn't really seem like the victim to me you know, both of them felt like <laughs> if we're going to say alpha dogs. They felt both like they both felt like they sh- they were trying to own the place. They both felt like jerks. They really did. <laughs> they really and, did. They were. They and, act. They, not. They both felt like they both acted like jerks. I mean, that is a fact. Yeah. I mean, we have we have Max who's trying to get Duke in trouble by breaking things. We have Duke who is basically taking over Max's bed and then eating out of his bowl, clearly knowing that that's his bowl. I mean, n- no one's no one's innocent here. And I thought that was an interesting take to have their relationship set up where we don't necessarily have a hero. I mean, we have Max and we sort of root for him. And, you know, when Duke gets there because we care about Max ultimately based on his opening narration. But then we're like, Max, dude, stop being a jerk. And what, Duke, stop being a jerk. And, uh, you know, I think it's only until we get into when they get captured by the dog catcher the first time that we start seeing a little bit more of their personality come out. Yeah, I would agree. And and once that happens, you know, things obviously change because now we become we get into a situation where maybe they're going to work together and yeah. they're going to see each other in a different light. Um the the idea though that I, I just kept seeing running through this film was sacrifice. I kept seeing you know, mm-hmm. I saw I see Max um you know, he he right after Duke has told him this big piece of information that Max doesn't seem to understand beforehand, which is, you know, if Duke goes back to the pound, he's done for because he can't Mm -hmm. go back a second time. Like they're going to put him down. That's, that's what they're telling us without actually saying it. And so then when Max gets caught at Duke's, they get into a fight at Duke's owner's house. Duke's upset because he's sad and he projects it onto Max as if it was Max's fault because Max brought him there. And Max ends up getting caught by the the animal control. And Duke makes a choice to sacrifice himself to try and save Max. And Mm -hmm. I just, I I thought that was pretty amazing. Um, And then it, it carries forward because then we see Max. I mean, it starts happening over and over and over. We see Max when Duke is stuck in the van 
he's he's teetering off the side of a bridge and Max goes to jump on it to try and help him. And then that leads to them both almost drowning. And then we see Snowball dive into the water to try and save them. And, and everybody starts to sacrifice themselves for each other at this point. And right. I thought that was I thought that was great to visualize. I didn't necessarily feel like the film from a script standpoint earned it on an adult level as, as for me buying in, like why would snowball do this? Um, other than he's starting to have a change of heart at that point, he realizes, you know, because, because again, at that point they have saved snowball too. So everybody starts to kind of play off of each other. They, they save each other and then they, they have a change of heart and they want to help their friend, their new friends. Right. I felt, while I did see that theme played, I thought it felt a little overplayed for my taste that if everybody's saving everybody, we, we go from, we go from people dying <laughs> and from a scene, you know, where, what is a, what is Snowball's friend that he keeps going, you know, he keeps playing, paying uh, an homage to or R.I.P. Ricky. <laughs> exactly. We go from, from that kind of tone to, Everybody saves everybody, and to me, it felt like overkill. It wasn't bad. I mean, it was. It's a kids' movie at this point. That's what I felt like. Okay, this is a kids' movie, um, and this is where that kids' movie is playing off. That everybody's, every, and this goes back to my previous point about Snowball's, you know, his story wrapping up nicely. Um, it it made sense seeing all of this sacrifice and seeing everybody being nice to each other at the end by the end, and saving each other and helping each other. But, eh. For my taste, from a story perspective, I kind of want a little bit more balanced. Okay, so I, I, it's obvious that you did not love it. So I'm going to ask you point blank: What were your favorite parts about the movie? Like, what did okay. what did what did you like? What made you smile? What made you laugh? Um, obviously, the plot and the themes overall were a little hard to swallow as an adult. Um, but what? What I mean, what what are those things that reminded you of the enjoyment you had when you think back to seeing your son laughing about something, or you know, what parts what parts do you remember from the movie that you took away? Hands down, the scene at Pops's house, his apartment, all those animals playing with each other. I think there were dogs throwing cats up on the like a dartboard to see if they would hit a bullseye. I thought that was great. And I could watch a whole movie about Pops. He was by far my favorite character. His lines were my biggest LOL moments. In particular, I think there was one where um, I think he said something like, um, like somebody stepped in like some poop and he goes, somebody said, what is that? And he goes, that's poop with the side of caca, you know? And I just remember just busting up laughing at that line. And that moment was like his whole the whole montage of him getting them to where they getting Max's friends where they needed to be and, and finishing up where he was trying to name, he had forgotten all their names. So it sounds like me, like I'm just giving nicknames to everybody uh, because I can't remember names that well. He does the same thing. And, <laughs> and they the, make no the, sense. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. And so he's like, he's like, I, I wish I could even remember them because they were just cracking me up. And then he finishes up with, um, with the cat and I think he calls her, Fran, <laughs> like he doesn't give her a name just or a nickname, just a name. Yeah, and Chloe, so, ever the ever the like just stoic one, says something so simple. She's just like, no, not even close, yeah, not even close. <laughs> so, so any any scenes with him in it were probably the ones that that I enjoyed the most. Cool. Well, I I liked Pops as well. I thought he was 
one of the best characters they came up with. Um, very unique, you know, having him rolling around in his wheels. I don't remember if we saw that in the trailer. I think that was pretty, I think that that like part of his body was cut. Like the scenes in the trailers, I don't remember them showing the wheels. I remember seeing the first half of his body when he's talking to them and he says, you know, they ask him, what you been up to old timer? And he says, paralyzed. <laughs> and um, so I remember that, but I don't remember knowing anything more. And so that came as a shock to me. Yeah. And so it was pretty, pretty cool to see um, him moving around. And I thought, again, I thought great message for the kids, right? That, that, you know, kind of, kind of in a way, a lot like Dory, you know, and, and Dory talking about how you can have these um, disabilities of some sort and yet you can be a completely functional and, and happy and, and, um, you know, uh, contributing member of society and you can, yeah. you can overcome things like that. And here we have the same concept in an actual pet, um, that we might, we might deal with as a pet owner. We might have a dog that ends up paralyzed and has to be in a roller. You know, we might end up with a cat that has some sort of disease that they have to live with. And it, it showed us that they can handle that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I don't know. I just thought that was kind of neat. Um, I thought, that it was really cool to the the one thing I loved about the flush pets the most was how many different animals were down there. Mm. And I thought that was great because it, it allowed people to relate to any kind of pet they may have. Like you name it. If it's a type of pet, it was probably shown in this film. So even if your pet didn't get prime screen time, you kind of got to see it and you could go, Oh yeah, I have a lizard. I saw a lizard. Oh, I have a Guinea pig. I saw a Guinea pig, you know, things like that. And so I thought that was neat. Um, it kind of, uh, (laughs) I wondered why cats had to be lazy, selfish, or evil (laughs) as a cat lover. I was like, come on, like (laughs) give me a heroic cat for a minute, please. (laughs) Um, and I thought, you know, I thought probably the best thing that the movie does is it serves as a commentary on how to treat your pets with love and respect. And that's, if the movie has a message, I think that that's the message. You know, it's, it's Snowball says at one point, all of us have suffered at the hands of humans. They say they love us, and then they throw us out. And then the sea monkeys have a great line too, and they say, it's not our fault that we don't look like the ad. <laughs> and those two things really resonated with me, those two quotes, because that's a problem. In the world today, that's a real world problem is people who don't spay and neuter their pets. And I, I'm not trying to go on a soapbox here, but seriously, spay and neuter your pets. You know, like when they have a litter of kittens and your only recourse is to toss them out in the woods or to put them on Craigslist, you know, so they can bounce from owner to owner to owner just to, you know, have no idea how they're going to be treated. Um, you know, stray cats, they're just, they're everywhere it's just sad. It's really, really sad. Neglected fish that don't get fed because we're too busy to do that. We're, we we have too busy of a life to remember to feed our fish. And so they just die. And all we think is we'll just flush it down the toilet. And I'm not saying that these pets are the equals of humans, but they are life. They are creation. And I think that they should be treated with some sort of love and respect. And, and we have a responsibility if we're going to be a pet owner um, to treat them as such. And I think the film does a great job of getting that message across. I agree with that. And, and I agree with you that I would never put my dog or my cat on the same 
value level as my three and a half year old or my wife. And that just goes without saying. However, there's a reason that we own pets. And I think people that are listening to this, young couples, couples that are, you know, that are married or now have young kids, maybe you guys can relate to this story. My wife and I, when we got married, the first thing we did after hosting an amazing opening ceremonies party for the Olympics uh, was we went out and we bought a cat because we weren't ready to have kids yet. But there was something innate in us as a couple to want to have something together that was living, that had some emotional connection. It wasn't just furniture. It wasn't just getting a blender together or something like that. I mean, we were we really wanted to find something that not only we could say, this is ours together, but that we could love together. And in some ways, I mean, people joke about this, but they, you know, people think that young couples are... They buy pets as a way to do kind of a dress rehearsal for when they have kids. And while there's a lot that <laughs> I would completely say that's not true at all in terms of, you know, because you and I both have kids, so we know the significant difference. There oh, yeah. is some there is some truth in that because you're getting practice by making sure that your pet is fed and that it feels loved. And if you have like an active dog or a cat, you make sure that you have toys for them and just make sure that at the, you know, at the end of the day, they're taken care of. And so in some ways, I think pets uh, have that value of letting us practice on how to love someone that's not our, that's not us. Mm -hmm. There's a sense of selflessness there. And, you know, it's easier in, for maybe a lot of people to let go of pets. For me, I'm, I'm going to have, I'll, if I'm honest, I'm going to say I'll, I'll have a hard time when my my dog and my cat pass away because I've had history with them as frustrating as I get with my dog, who is an old curmudgeon, a lot like, um, a lot like pops who pees on the floor randomly. Um, the day that I have to put him down is going to be a, a sad day because I have history with him. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think pets teach us how, at least in a small way, how to be emotional and how to deal with, I think you mentioned it earlier, the passage of, of time of, of, of being a part of your life and then not being a part of your life. Um, I think it, it, there's some real value in that. Well said, I uh, don't have a lot to add to that because I think you said it as, as greatly as it can be said. So I agree. Um, at the risk of rolling us into our favorite scene from this movie, which is a little bit emotional as well. I'm going to break up the emotional things and put one funny thing in the middle. I'm going to tell you something I, something that distur- dude, this flat out disturbed me. The anthropomorphic <laughs> I know exactly what you <laughs> I know what you're about to talk about. The anthropomorphic sausages. I <laughs> that scene, I do not know. I, I felt like I was watching a Kubrick movie or something. <laughs> I, I don't know what happened. All of a sudden we're in a factory and we start having dancing sausages that are like alive but yet willingly marching themselves into the mouth of a dog they're committing suicide like i can't i don't know what's happening i don't know what's happening i'm completely lost i'm completely freaked out my son looks like he's never had a happier moment in his life I, i mean his face feels like it's literally going to like break because it's so wide his smile he's just like eating it up for lack of a pun right there but like i i mean or there's a pun for you but i don't know i just 
dude, that that whole scene, I, I I didn't know what was going on. I was disturbed, lost, confused, just out, out of my element. Do you, do you have anything to say about that scene? <laughs> I laughed out loud during that scene. Oh, you but liked it. That, Great. Of course, no, no, of all no. the things in this movie. You pick that one, Patrick. That's the one you you didn't like the film. All the important things that you like, you're kind of like, oh yeah, I didn't like that. No, that didn't work for me. But I loved those dancing sausages. Hey, this is feeling film. We find the best even in the worst, right? Well, I, fair enough. But no, I will say, I think what made it funny for me was the music that they chose. It <laughs> definitely true. felt weird. But when you have the basically um, a you know we'll always be together from Greece. The scene felt completely out there. Like it felt like, hey guys, we've got about 15 minutes or we've got about, you know, two or three minutes. We got to kill. What can we do? Hey, I have this idea. (laughs) (laughs) So it it definitely felt misplaced, but I I laughed out loud at the absurdity of it. It didn't add anything to the plot by any means. I will say it didn't have any value to the overall story, (laughs) but on its own, it was just a great little, you know, if I were drinking cough syrup at that time, I think I would have enjoyed it a lot more. (laughs) <laughs> come to seattle you can uh, do more than that <laughs> oh man well i'm glad that at least you found something that you could take away and really remember from this movie even if it was something that like i made me challenged to sleep at night <laughs> all right well let's go ahead and transition now and we'll talk about um our most our most impactful scene that one big moment in the movie that both of us um would kind of point pinpoint as the the emotional climax of the movie so to speak or not necessarily plot wise but the one that for us made the movie more or less but in in most regards it it really just kind of defined it for us so the scene that we chose uh for this we both we we had no debate about this, and that was Max learning Duke's history. Um, when Max learns why Duke was in the pound, why Katie was able to adopt him in the first place, uh, because when Duke moves in, you know there's this this immediate air of superiority. We talked about this before: an attitude of defensiveness. He's eating out of Max's bowl. He's he's trying to cement himself so that he doesn't lose it right he needs that he actually says at one point i need this and and we didn't know why he needs this um but he doesn't even attempt max doesn't even attempt to get to know duke uh before he tries to get rid of him he just treats him really poorly he acts very jealous but once duke tells him the story and explains to him where he came from how he got separated and never got back to his owner and ended up in the pound. Um, it's like there's this clean slate and this new, it's, it's, it's kind of a teaching point too, where it's like, okay, now if you listen to each other, if you communicate and you talk and you try to understand your feelings, you discuss your feelings and you get to understand where each other is actually coming from, then your friendship can truly begin. And I think that that's when that new act that we both actually liked so much of, kind of really started you know because they have that they had that commonality of both being found and adopted by their owners yeah i think what i enjoyed most about that scene and about a storytelling device that's used here about the reveal of a backstory 
of a character. What that does is it allows us to reconsider our preconceptions about someone or something. So in the case of Max, his preconceptions were challenged when he realized where Duke literally and emotionally was coming from. And I'm going <laughs> to, we keep things light on the show, but I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to just say just a, a quick thing in light of this last week and the, 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 the shootings and the just kind of the issues with race relations and all this stuff. I'm not going to get into all that, but watching this movie reminded me, it, it made me think about the fact that when you take someone or something at face value and you begin to project a, a personality type on them and you begin to form a story about that person or about that thing without actually knowing and getting to know that person without hearing their story, it becomes a dangerous situation. It becomes so dangerous because you've already set up barriers. You've already created um, division among a potential friendship. And so to bring it back to the story, I think that Max from the very beginning put those barriers up. Yes, because he didn't want his territory trampled on. He didn't want his life screwed up, but I think he saw Duke as a threat because he didn't know where this guy was coming from. He only saw the attitude, um, but not the history behind it. And so when he finds out, when he finds out who Duke is like why he is the way he is not only does he understand it but he tries to help solve the problem and i think that's where max's value comes in for me as a character is it's one thing to realize that there's a problem it's another thing to love that friend enough to say let's figure out how to help the situation mm -hmm. and i think for max that's exactly what he did with duke and duke in return for him they both it's not that they just saw each other in a better light. It's that they valued each other and they cared about each other. And they said, you know what? Your story doesn't just involve who I see you as right now. It's who you are. Uh, it's, it's the history of who you are that makes you, um, that helps me understand who you are. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's um, a very sobering comparison, uh, but a very accurate one. Uh, for the things that we've experienced this week as well. So yeah, um, funny stuff though, to end on this note, I want to say I found it interesting that Illumination Entertainment, um, who's responsible <laughs> for the Minions movies, the Despicable yeah. Me films, um, they, they add a short in front of this movie. And I oh, guess I that's the kind short. of the new it. thing. Yeah. You did. Interesting. I, You know, we laughed at it, but I was kind of like, eh, whatever. It's okay. It's funny. It's minions, you know, it has to be the minions because they don't have a lot of properties yet. But what it, <laughs> what it made me think is that they're starting to, they're, they're trying to create a shared universe here and it's not, it's not overly, you know, in your face. It's very subtle, but they are creating this, this, uh, this situation where they do what Disney does in Zootopia, where they give Easter eggs and two of the things that came up were really awesome. And so I just had to point them out in case people didn't pick up on them. But so the short film was about the the minions trying to mow the lawn to get money to buy the blender for the bananas. <laughs> um, and in that short film, there's one particular gag where one of them is, you know, staring down, having a staring contest with this garden gnome sitting on top of a <laughs> of a hose of some sort. And so yeah. the, the garden gnome eventually explodes from the water pressure. 
Well, that garden gnome is in this movie. They, when they are with, I believe it's when they're with pops and they come down out of a pipe. Um, they pass this garden gnome sitting in the corner of that alleyway where they come out. It's, <laughs> it's absolutely hilarious. As soon as I saw it, I actually was one of the only times I would talk. I don't talk in movies very often, but I was like having to get my son's attention. I'm pointing at it. I'm freaking out. I'm like, look, 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 look. And he's like, oh my gosh, dad, that's cool. And then the <laughs> other one is there is a poster advertisement for Illumination Entertainment's next film, which is called Sing. <laughs> Yes. And it's on the bus that Snowball <laughs> steals and is driving maniacally across the bridge. And you yeah. see it quite a few times, like clear in the, clear as day in the shot. There's this poster for their movie that hasn't even come out yet. And I just <laughs> I thought those things were brilliant. And th- and then of course in the end credits as well, um <laughs> they have two of the pets that come to a quote unquote costume party, and one of them is dressed like a minion and the other is dressed like the teddy bear. That I believe it's Bob the my son tells me it's Bob the minion, so I'm going with what he says. As I mean, he knows the canon of the minions better than I do, but it's <laughs> Bob the teddy bear, and then there's one as a minion. Maybe that minion is actually Bob, which would make more sense. It makes make a lot of sense. Um, but I just thought that that was kind of cool that they yeah. could do that. You know, tie them together in such a subtle way. Um, I'm excited. I like their animation style. Uh, I don't feel like it's going to rival Pixar anytime soon. Their storytelling is is not what Pixar is, but I think there's a place for it. And if they made more movies about these characters, you know what? I might not go see them in the theater day one, but I definitely would like to see them. Pops solo movie. Can we just say that right now? I'm going to call oh, you, it. Pops you already want solo a spinoff. Mo- I do. I want a pop solo movie. <laughs> well, you better get one quick. Cause he's old. The secret life of pops. <laughs> <laughs> that, hey, you know what? That could work. <laughs> Maybe I'll do it with my 48 hour. You're a budding writer and director. Now. You could make yeah, it can, happen. I can do it. <laughs> all right. Well, Patrick, um, I guess that's about all we can say for this one about this one for now. So where can people get in touch with you if they want to, uh, come at you to discuss their disdain for your opinions on this film? <clears throat> if you <clears throat> so choose, uh, or to tell you they agree <laughs> with you in general, but where, where can they catch you online to talk? You can find me at Chewless Patch on the Twitter machine, S-H-O-E-L-E-S-S-P-A-T-C-H, and at the same handle at, uh, at facebook.com slash Shoeless Patch. That is awesome. Um, you can find me at Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E, as well, anywhere you can find me, anything you can imagine online, you can find me on. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, etc. You can follow the show at Twitter and Facebook also by typing in Feelin' Film, F-E-E-L-I-N-F-I-L-M. And there's a Facebook group that I mentioned earlier that we have. We'd love to have you come be a part of that as well and just continue the conversation there with us about the episodes and just in general movie news, entertainment topics. We love to talk about them there. I got to say... Real quick, we had a couple new reviews or a couple new ratings on iTunes this week. Made me very happy. Patrick and I smile. Some of the biggest smiles we've ever smiled in our lives when we see those pop up. Um, so They rival the sausage scene. They rival the smiles during the sausage scene. Uh, my <laughs> smile is much better than the sausage scene, folks. So if you write a review, you are not comparing to a sausage in my mind. Hmm. Okay. So Sorry. I've lost my train of thought, but I will say that we like your reviews and uh, we're still going to probably read some more of those in future episodes. We got one this week that just, man, it was awesome. And we are so grateful for you listeners, all of you right now 
Um, you make our day. Next week, we're going to be doing a second chance on Tomorrowland. Brie Larson? Brie Larson in this one? Uh, I think she... No. Is she? I don't uh, know. Clooney is, right? George, George Clooney's Clooney? in it, but I think, I think it might be Brie. I don't know if it's Brie Larson or somebody else, but there's some other young, main, uh, up-and-coming female actress that's in this one that... Uh, I can't remember who it was. I've seen the movie, but uh, I think anyway. I think it's the it's the girl from. Um, she was in a few episodes of Under the Dome, the uh, summer series that came on a couple of years yeah. ago. Anyway, definitely doesn't help me. Somebody come on Facebook Sorry. or Twitter <laughs> and tell me who that actress is, if it's not Brie Larson. Um, but yeah, Tomorrowland didn't get great reception. Um, I I remember both of us being extremely excited about Tomorrowland when it was coming out. Um, man, I've been to Disneyland several times, and I love Tomorrowland. So. Yeah, there's that. Um, we hope to sh- tell you all about the great things in that film and why it's worth your time. Yeah. Until next time, though, stay positive. And don't forget to spay and neuter your pets. I mean, keep feeling film. <laughs> I love it. <laughs>